it's great to see uh, children so excited to worship the Lord that they run out of their shoes. And um, <laughs> that's, it's, a, uh, it's, a, it's a great picture. So um, we're continuing this fall to look at 1 Peter. Uh, last week we looked at verse, uh, in uh, chapter 1, uh, we looked at uh, verse 4. This week we're going to look at, at verse 5. Um, I realize that we are creeping through this, and uh, I uh, said that we would, uh, when asked how long would we be in First Peter, I said I plan to be done by the end of the academic year, and uh, you may think that's the end of the academic year in 2018, but we are, we are actually going to speed up. But the stuff in this first paragraph is so good and so practical, it's worth our time and energy to go through it uh, verse by verse. And so today I'm going to read to you again First Peter uh, chapter 1, verses 2 uh, through 9, uh, but we're going to focus our attention on uh, verse 5. So the text is printed in the bulletin and also up on uh, the screens behind me. Uh, this is God's word, and we should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So uh, last night, uh, I got the privilege, had the privilege of going to a great party a really good party, celebrating uh, a 15th wedding anniversary. Uh, and uh, uh, great food, great time. It was really, it was really an uh, awesome time. And uh, one of the things that was uh, great about it was uh, to be there uh, with people who were there 15 years ago when the knot was tied and uh, uh, to see how uh, things have changed for people and uh, just to remember the faithfulness and goodness of God over 15 years. It was a great, it was a great thing. Uh, and it was good to look at pictures from back then and look at how much everyone else has aged and, uh, and just uh, have a sense of, uh, yeah, just how, how, how great that was. Well, one of the things that you do when you, when you celebrate an anniversary is you look back and you think about, all the things that's happened in your life over that period of time. And you think about the good times, you think about the bad times, you think about uh, the great <laughs> trips you took, you think about the, the birth of children, you think about all of those kinds of things. But one of the things that's uh, great to remember at a time like that is when you gather together and you celebrate a hallmark or a, 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 a thing like that, is to remember that uh, though this couple... 15 years ago, made vows to each other and made a commitment to each other. 
One of the things that is even more true is that God made a commitment to them. Uh, At every wedding I do, I pray that God would remind the couple that in Jesus, he will give them everything they need to love one another for the rest of their lives. And he does that in time and in space. Uh, And so it is a great thing to be reminded of the fact that one of the things that is true about our God is that he is someone who comes uh, to us and ties himself to us, makes a commitment to us that never, ever fails or fades. And so it's, it's, it's a great thing to remember, it's a great thing to celebrate, and it's a great thing to kind of let take root in your soul and in your heart as you walk through this world, as you think about the way things are. So Peter is writing to these exiles, to these people who are facing persecution and difficulty, and he wants them to understand uh, the commitment, uh, the covenant, the, the tie that God has to them in Christ. And so last week we looked at the inheritance, right? We looked at verse 4. We looked at the, the inheritance that God is keeping for us based on the work of Jesus for us. He calls it an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. And he ends verse 4 with the, uh, with the words, for you. So in other words, what God is doing in Jesus Christ and what he is doing in, this, in that church, that the, the churches that are the, receiving this letter, is he is at work in them to, to uh, accomplish and to bless them, right? And so to accomplish the salvation that Jesus died and rose again, to uh, make it real to them and in time and in space. And he reminds them that these exiles, people who feel like they don't belong, people who look around the world and think, I don't quite fit in here, or, or there's, there are things about this place, things about this world that aren't right, and, and it makes me not uh, feel at home. I'm uneasy. I don't know where my place is. What he's saying is, you have a place. You have a home. You have an inheritance. You have everything that a loving father would give to his children, and he is at work in in building and preserving that inheritance for you right now. And so as he ends with this text, as he says that all of this work of God is for you, for God's glory, for, for, for inexpressible joy in your heart and in your life. Now, the problem with this is, when we hear about this inheritance and we hear about the work of God, it's, all this is for you, and yet it seems like it's out there. It's out there. It's way out there, right? Uh, it's not here <laughs> where I am threatened by pressures, temptations, and as he says here, fiery trials, right? It's almost as if you had a, a rich uncle who's left you $50 million. However, you can't get it until you turn 80. <laughs> By the way, this, this uh, uh, CDC or whoever the government entity is who does these things says that the life expectancy in America now is 79. <laughs> yeah. So, 
It's just, just beyond reach. It's so sweet. It's so awesome. It's so great. But it's just beyond your reach. And it's always just beyond your reach. And I'm living, as he says here, in the midst of pressures and temptations and fiery trials. I, 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 I'm worried about my job, and I'm, I'm worried about my kids, and I'm, I'm worried about whether I'll uh, ever get married, and I'm, I'm worried about whether, uh, uh, what life is going to be like for me, and I, 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 I have all this anxiety and all this fretfulness and all this concern and all this temptation. And it seems like all this stuff is great, Peter, but can you just give me three steps right now of things that I can do today to live my best life? Now. And so what Peter is doing here is saying to us, lift your eyes. See what's really, really going on. Next slide. So if this great inheritance is there, then we, and it seems just beyond our reach, and we're under all this pressure, and we're experiencing all this temptation and sadness and grief and difficulty, then how am I going to get there? Seeing as how I am an exile and a wanderer, right? If, if he says that we're just wandering around, there's this promise of a home, how am I going to get there? Because it sure seems to me like I, I could wander off and, and never get there, right? I have this vast treasure waiting for me but I have to go through this terrible gauntlet to get it, and I wonder if I can hold on till the end. Now, you, you may think, what is a gauntlet? Um, when I played football in high school, we had this drill called the gauntlet. They don't do this anymore, thankfully, because uh, it jars your brain. And what it is is you have the ball, and there are two lines of guys, and you run through the middle of them, and one of those guys has your number. And he's going to bust you wide open as you run through the, through the gauntlet. And you just don't know who he is or what he's going to do. And uh, it's, it's awesome, you know. <laughs> just, yes, I, I, I remember, well, I don't remember it that well. But I do, I, do, I do remember the first time getting up off the ground thinking, so you do see stars when you get hit up close and personal. So, so when you think about this, it, it, it seems so hard that my resources are so small, my love is so weak, my faith up and down. How am I going to get there? What, how, how is this going to work? Uh, and, and, and it seems to me like so often what God is doing in these fiery trials is not testing or, or refining my faith. He's just trying to burn me up so that there's nothing left, right? Next slide. So we cry out with the psalm writer in Psalm 108, who will bring me to the fortified city, Right? That's our destiny. We read in Revelation about the giant city, the city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven like, like a, a bride dressed for her husband. How, how am I going to get there? What is it? Who's going to bring me to this? Who is going to get me there? And who is going to get me there 
as Peter says here, not just as uh, just escaping through this world or just dodging the hits as I go through it or, or get me through here as painlessly as possible, but how am I going to get there with a sense of joy that is inexpressible and full of glory? Because even me just saying that to you, that it is possible, conceivable, and even desirable, and even the will of God for you to walk through this world and have a joy that is inexpressible and full of glory makes you ashamed and condemns you because you think, well, you know what, I, I just, honestly, I, I can't get there. And I don't mean giddiness, and I don't mean silliness, and I don't mean some kind of Pollyannishness. I mean a solid conviction in the bottom of your soul and in the bottom of your heart that Jesus Christ is for you and he will give you what you need and he will see you through this and he will never desert you, that he is for you in the past, in the present, and in the future. We are uh, celebrating in our house uh, a seven-year anniversary of uh, when uh, Marty was... uh, um, diagnosed with cancer and now is cancer-free, and we are uh, really grateful for that. She didn't have the most virulent form of cancer, but there were 36 radiation treatments and a couple of surgeries and, you know, one millimeter margins and all that stuff that you do with that. And of course, uh, because we believe uh, in what the Bible says, that when you're sick, you gather the elders and you have them pray for your healing. And so we gathered the elders and um, I knew what we needed to pray for. We needed to pray that it was all a big mistake and uh, the doctors were stupid and that uh, this was, you know, uh, this was somebody else's cancer, frankly. That's, you know, uh, honestly, that's, uh, there's there's some joy. Anyway, um, so as they asked her, what would you like for us to pray for? Obviously, you want to pray for healing. And she says, I pray, I want you to pray that this uh, cancer won't rob me of joy. Now, I hear that, and, and I'm sure you hear that, and you think that sounds like a um, Norman Vincent Peale, positive thinking, devotional for the day. Um, Because if you look in the dictionary under things that are joy robbers, cancer is probably on that list, right? Uh, Along with, if I were to ask you to give me your joy robbers, you could all raise your hand and point them out. So, how does this work? How is it possible that you can be in the midst of a fiery trial, this gauntlet, and have joy, inexpressible, full of glory. What's well, not just that the inheritance is out there, but it's what God is doing right now in the midst of the fiery trial and his promise uh, to keep us. How does that matter? Well, what Peter says is, is that you're being guarded. You are being kept. And those words that he uses there, the same words that Paul uses in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three of his imprisonment. It's as, as if what God has said to you is, look, you know what? This world is dangerous, and it is hard, and it is difficult. 
and there is a lot of pain and a lot of death and a lot of suffering. And so what I am going to do for you is I'm going to place you in protective custody. And this protective custody that I'm going to place you in is not a protective custody that keeps you from ever having any difficulties or keeps you from ever having any disappointment or keeps you from ever having any grief. But what, what it is, is this protective custody protects you uh, ultimately and eternally so that you can rest in the knowledge that, that this God is at work in and for and through you, even in the midst of the most difficult things, and even in the midst of those things that cause you to forget him, that cause you to despise him, that cause you to wonder if his commitment to you is still solid. So next slide. So what we have to see here is three things that Peter wants us to understand that helps us uh, grapple with this issue of having joy in the midst of these fiery trials. He says, first, what we need to recognize is that I am where I am by the purpose and selection of God. So Peter says that we are elect exiles. That is, though you may look at exiles and you may see them as people that have no home and no place and, and the world, and they're just alien and they cannot uh, find a place. But the fact of the matter is their home is in God because God in eternity past has selected them. He has set his grace and his mercy and his love. Before they were born, they were his. And he owns them. And this purpose of Jesus Christ coming into the world and, and the things that he has done and the, the work that he achieved in his, his life and his death and his resurrection is for them, right? Uh, and so God has caused me uh, in and through and by his great mercy and love to be born again to this living hope. So the very fact today that I can say that I have a sense of the gospel for me, that I have a sense that Jesus is for me, that I believe this at all, that I have an interest in this at all, is because God has caused me to be born again. That is, he has begun this work in me. He is the one who initiated it. He's the one who started it. If you're wondering today, you know, about the work of God in your life, if you're wondering today about the truth of the gospel, if you're wondering today about whether God loves you, whether Jesus has a plan for you, if you're wondering today about how he's going to do these things for you, you are wondering that because God has birthed that in you. And that is his initiative that he takes towards you and in moving towards you to cause you to, 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 to be born again, to be renewed, to be changed to this living hope that he has for you. And so you may think today, wow, I am off track. I, I'm wandering around here. I don't know where I am. I don't know what I'm doing. It just seems like I'm just kind of uh, just <laughs> lost in so many ways. The fact is, the fact is, God is the one who is at work in you, guiding, directing, leading you, right? Now, um, he, he is the one uh, who is going to get you to the fortified city. Um, we went to, when we went to this party, uh, it was in a remote location last night, and, and um, some people got lost. Because, you know, you have a GPS, and, and if you're cool, you trust that GPS that it's going to tell you where to go. Well, sometimes they're wrong. Did you know that? You know, sometimes they're wrong. Can you believe that? I, I can't believe that. Now, some of us, uh, actually, the uncool of, of us, 
looked up the directions online and printed them out and brought them in the car. We got mocked because we're so 2000s because we did that. But we got there. Yeah. So, um, so the fact is, you may think that God has lost you and the hubbub and the pressure and the difficulty of your life, but the fact is, you are where you are by his work and his selection. Next slide. Second, this keeping that he has on you depends on love. Not your love, not my love, but the love of God. Uh, the psalmist, David says there in Psalm 108, My heart is steadfast, O God. I will sing and make melody with all my being. Now, I don't know about you, but anytime I read something or anytime somebody speaks to me with uh, exclamation points at the end of every sentence, I automatically distrust them. Okay? Do you do that? Like, don't try to sell me this. Calm down. Right? You're, you're overly enthusiastic. You know, and your over-enthusiasm must mean that what you're selling is not that great, right? But that's not what David's doing. David is ecstatic. He's on fire. He says, my heart is steadfast, O God. I will sing and make melody with all my being. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great above the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Those, those, that last phrase there, your steadfast love is great above the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. The fact of the matter is the, the bottom line for us here today is that, that the love of God is so rich and so deep and so profound, it is impossible for me to describe it to you accurately. It is bigger, higher, greater, warmer than any love we ever experience from human beings. Next slide, please, Sarah. <clears throat> God's love is beyond human love in that it rises beyond our sphere, surpassing our domain on the ground. More important than the greatness of God's love, though, is the quality. God's love is no emotion or experience. Now, there's plenty of passion in the way God loves his people, but not in the way we're passionate. You know, we, we roll in and we roll out right? Um, the synonym Psalm 108 chooses for God's love tells us how he loves. He is faithful. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds, which means he doesn't go back on his word. He does not tire of us, find us boring, or grow disgusted with our stench or our surliness or our whining, right? God does not love as we love. We may experience a glad friendship with someone, but have it ruined through misunderstanding or a conflict over power. We may experience lust, but abandon the person when our desires are sated. You see, that's, that's what he wants us to see about the reality of, of, of the love of God, that when God sets his love upon us, it does not, uh, it, 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 it doesn't burn hot and cold. You know, it doesn't come in and go away. It doesn't, it doesn't just wear thin. It is always uh, deep. It is always strong. It never, ever, ever lets go. Next slide. So third, uh, though we are kept, Peter knows, not, not just kept, not just set aside, not just so that our destiny is there, that Jesus is actually doing something right now, that he is active 
right? Because he knows that we lack the power in and of ourselves to get to the fortified city, to get where it is uh, uh, that we're going. Piper says there's danger on the way to salvation in heaven. We need ongoing protection after we uh, are born again. Our security does not mean we are home free. There's a battle to be fought. And in this battle, we need protection and help far beyond what we can supply for ourselves. Our protection comes from God. And how does this work? Next slide, Sarah. Well, Peter knew this by experience. Now, we've, we've cited a number of times as we've gone through this, Peter's interaction with Jesus leading up to his betrayal, leading up to the time where he says he'll die for Jesus, and Jesus says before uh, the rooster crows in the morning, you will deny me three times. Well, uh, what we read here is on the night when, Simon, uh, when Peter uh, betrayed Jesus, the Lord said to him, Simon, Simon, did not use his name Peter, the rock, Behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. In other words, to press Peter through a sieve of temptation to try to strain out his faith. But Jesus says, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. So what we see here is going on is, is that, the, that Jesus Christ is actively guaranteeing right now in heaven for you. Every one of us who is in Christ today can rest assured that Jesus Christ is in heaven before the throne of God, before the very altar of God, bearing in his body the marks of his sacrifice, pleading, crying out, interceding for you by name. He is at work right now praying for you in the midst of your temptation and your anxiety and your struggle and your pain and your difficulty. He has not stopped. He will not stop. Um, and and, and, the, and the, the fact of the matter is what we, what we see in this is, is that he is there uh, because he is doing this and because he bears these marks, because he, he pleads his sacrifice and his work on our behalf, we can rest assured that his love is active and real in our lives and will see us through to the end. So Jesus prayed that Peter's faith not fail utterly. That is why Peter wept bitterly and returned from his sin. But to whom did Jesus pray? To God, his Father. And what did he ask God to do? To not let Peter's faith come to an end. So who forged the link of faithfulness in Peter that awful night? God did. And who brought him back from the precipice of unbelief and gave him tears of remorse? God did. And he did that in response to and because of the intercession of Jesus Christ. And so we have this powerful advocate of Jesus who even now is applying by his spirit, his work on our behalf, and pleading for us, crying out for us in the midst of our pain and our suffering and our difficulty and our anxiety and the, the hard things that we go through in our lives. He is at work in that, uh, seeing to it that we get to this place, that we make it to the end, that the gauntlet of this world doesn't undo us. Next slide. So Jesus is active right now, interceding for you. Right now. You're on his heart. You're on his mind. Now, three things uh, for us to um, um, 
to take away from this that are very practical. The, the fact is, Peter recognizes that the world is a harsh and hard place, and people are fickle. People are fickle. Um, what do you do when people come up to you and hear about something that you've done or are doing, and they say, I'll pray for you? What do you do? Are you glad? Or do you think, well, let's see if you really mean that. Are you going to ask me how I'm doing after you prayed for me? Are you going to follow up with me? Or, you know, are you going to get busy praying about the more pressing matters and forget about me? Well, or maybe you're going to have a legitimate thing that distracts you from praying for me. People are fickle. If we count on people to always be uh, what we need and demand and want them to be, we'll we'll be disappointed. People roll in and they roll out, right? But in Jesus, there is no rolling out, only rolling in. There is no low tide in the love of Jesus, right? As the, the hymn writer says, Roll, the love of Jesus rolling over me like a mighty ocean, right? It never stops, right? And so because Jesus is this way with me, it helps me, it empowers me to forgive those who are fickle towards me, and it also enables me and reminds me and strengthens me in the midst of my own anxiety and difficulty and struggle uh, to be faithful to those that he's given to me. Secondly, God has a bigger goal for me than I do for myself. One of the things that we think about the way the gospel works and the way that God is at work in us is, is that we, we just want to get through this world as best we can. We just, and, and we'd like to get the people we love through it uh, uh, in as painless and as easy a way as we possibly can. So, um, on Tuesday, uh, it was the... Um, 26th anniversary of our son's death. And one of the things that you, you think about uh, when you get to be my age and, uh, and older is um, you have dreams for your children, right? You dream that they're going to be smart, good-looking, popular, athletic, kind, gentle, Kind of like a scholarly, athletic Jesus. (laughs) Right? Right? That's 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 kind of what you think about, right? That's and you carry that around in your mind, right? Uh, That's what you hope for. Uh, And so, you know, we were out there and uh, um, running the geese away and pulling some grass up to make sure that the headstone's clear. And, um, and so I, I'm standing there and I'm thinking, you know, I wonder, wonder what this kid would be like at 26. What kind of joy would we have? What kind of sadness would we have? What kind of great things would be true about this? What kind of conflicts would we have? What kind of uh, accomplishments would he have? You know, <coughs> 
Well, you, you, you sit around and you, th- and you think about those things and you just, you know, because that's the way we dream, right? And what occurred to me out there is, you know, as warm and as sweet as that is, God's dream for him is bigger and better. So my goal, so often in life, is just to muddle through. And God's goal for me is glory. Thirdly, contrary to how I might feel, God is all in for me, right? He's all in, you know? Uh, He shed his blood. Uh, he took on flesh. He, there is uh, nothing that he won't do to see me through to the end. And so as you think about that, as you, as you press in on that, you know, the, the fact is that ultimately ends up being the source of our joy. That, that is the recognition that though I may be a wandering exile and though Uh, I may be struggling with uh, unemployment or underemployment or bad business conditions. I I may be struggling with with difficulties and and unfulfilled desires. And and all of these things may be weighing in against me. And these these things may just, just seem bigger and more real. But the fact of the matter is the shed blood of Jesus Christ, his intercession for me, and the work and the providential care that God has for me in my life right now tells me that he is all in for me and that my life matters because he is for me and he will see me through and bring me to the fortified city where I will sit at his table and eat with him face to face. And so the, the, the bottom line for me in the midst of this is not just that this gives me a stiff upper lip, not just that this uh, Uh, anything like that. It gives me certainty that God will see me through to the end, that he will not desert me, and that no matter whatever else may happen, whatever else may come my way, no matter what other disappointments or griefs or sicknesses or pains or depressions or any of those things that come my way, this thing I can rest in is, is that God is all in for me, and he needs to be in all in for me to get me where he wants me to go. And in the end, there's joy and glory. And there's joy, joy right now. Um, I read an article this week about uh, Sunday afternoon and Monday morning depression in pastors. And, and, And it's a real thing. And actually, they've done physiological studies on pastors. Who knew? I... I don't know if they cut some of their hair off when they walk out of the pulpit to test it or they do blood or whatever, but there's a real thing that happens that's like depression. You know what it is? I know exactly what it is. You get amped up and your adrenal glands are pumping on Sunday morning. Pumping, 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 pumping. I lift for this two hours every week. I know that's hard for you to believe, but I do. I spend most of my week thinking about this. And I pour my time and my energy, and I spend all my spare time 
thinking. When I'm watering the grass, I'm thinking, what is that fortified city business all about? What, what does it mean to be kept? How does this matter while I'm standing out here watering my grass? Is anybody going to care about this? That's what I spend my time thinking about. And then you pour it out, and you go back to your office to get your keys to go out to your car, and you think, oh, my gosh, what is wrong with you? Is that the best you can do? Now, what's going on there is not that the devil's over there in my office, although he is. I've seen him. But uh, <laughs> what is going on is my body is coming down. And it feels like depression. And I think, how is it? And this is, what, this is how I can spiral. That's my middle name, spiral. Into a deeper depression is you just talk to these people about joy and you want to go home and get on the sofa and curl up with the newspaper and suck your thumb <laughs> and hope no one bothers you till next week, right? So the fact is that the, the reality of that situation is I am a weak physical clay vessel and the source of my joy is that Jesus sees and loves and cares for that broken clay vessel. He intercedes for me. He cries out for me even when I can't cry out for myself. And he won't stop. He won't stop. He is fierce and relentless in his love. And that is the source of joy that can't ever be robbed from you because you can't be robbed from him. Let's pray. Lord, we need a sense of this today. I pray today for those who struggle with pain and sickness and difficulty, anxiety, depression, who struggle to have a sense that you are for them. I pray today for the cynical and the hardened, for the skeptical, um, and for the so what uh, among us. And I pray today uh, for the broken and the needy who are crying out, who will get me to the fortified city? Lord, teach us to repent of any strategy that would get us to the fortified city that is centered on the effort of humans. And teach us to rest in the work of Jesus Christ for us. Lord, we confess to you that um, joy inexpressible, full of glory, is just hard for us to imagine. Love that is unending and steadfast, that reaches to the stars, is hard for us to fathom, and yet it is ours. We thank you, we honor you, we worship, because you love fickle people like us, and you are drawing and making us steadfast by your steadfast love. 
Would you do that work in us today, we pray, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.